Welcome to this, the very first episode of the Bad Movie Cult podcast. My name is Dominic Lawton. I am here with Mr. Kenby Wilde. Yes, that's right. I'm here. I just want to get one thing right off the bat. It's not the fact that we hate these films. We love these films. Bad movies are fantastic. They're brilliant. I used to watch these films years and years ago, never realising they were bad. Uh, I used to just think they were quality films. You got you, your Van Dams, uh, your Schwarzeneggers, Stallone films, all the action classics, legitimately good films. And now looking back, you realise that they're not. They're funny, they're ridiculous, dialogue's ridiculous, the plot is nonsense. And you just love them for a different reason. So all of the films that we feature, we're not hating the films. We're just enjoying them in a different way. And uh, I think that's important. Was that your sort of first foray into bad movies? Yeah, but again, I didn't realise they were bad. Mm. I, I watched them and I enjoyed them. And then only later on did you realise they were bad. I mean, Schwarzenegger couldn't even speak properly. And, <laughs> and his films were fantastic and made millions and... It, it was never, it was because we were laughing at him. It was just because they were good films. And it, it carried on. Horror lends itself very easily to, to the same thing. Uh, you get the cliches now. You get the nonsense. The plots don't have to make sense. That's the, the genre. It doesn't have to. Other films, you get comedies that are not funny. That's just a bad film. You get a serious film that is funny. That's a good film for a different reason, and those are the films I think we, we cover. Those are the films that I enjoy. I will actively seek out films that sound ridiculous and awful and watch them and usually enjoy them, unless it goes full circle and they know they're terrible <laughs> and they try and make a joke about it themselves and then it loses all appeal. It's interesting what you say about... Um bad films you know when they're when they're doing it sort of tongue-in-cheek and sort of with a wink towards the audience you know it, it loses something it's got to be played absolutely straight you've got to want to make a good film and then it turns bad and it's it's, it's up to the audience to decide if it's a uh, so good it's bad not not the people who actually make the film no I, I like the idea that they put their effort in they they make that film and they think right i think that was good that's the best we could do with this and uh, it's just awful and that's that's the beauty of these films for me Okay, so the film opens on a yacht called the Malibu Express, which is a cheeky little wink to another film that the director Andy Sidaris had made before this. I think there's like seven or six or seven films in this film series. This, I think it's the same blonde woman is in all of them as well, I think. And basically she's, she's the one exiting the water in a bikini. There's a there's another guy there called Rowdy who's the main guy who's the main good guy in this, and he's wearing what can only be described as her sort of bikini bottoms. Yeah, they're almost matching the the briefs that they're wearing, the bikini briefs. Um, but yeah, he he really just advertises these other films, which is a cracking effort. And this is where we're told that they're actually both undercover agents for um, 
it's called the agency. Uh, we're never actually told what agency. It could just be a temp agency for all we know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that they allude to some sort of drug involvement. So it's, it must be some sort of government agency. Yeah, they don't actually say DEA, but we assume that's what it is. And um, that's when we get told that Donna, she's undercover as a uh, cargo helicopter pilot. You should get in, Rowdy. The water is great. Are you kidding? I've got better things to do with my body temperature. Cut away then and we get to uh, Bobby and Henry, our first other characters in the film. Yeah, Bobby and Henry um, don't get too attached to either of them. Please, uh, we shouldn't really have named them because now, now you've got a connection to the guys. But um, they'll be dead in less than five minutes. So H- Henry's a month away from retirement. Bobby's a rookie, wet behind the ears. Uh, they're cops. They're on Hawaii. They're looking. They're doing their patrols. They somehow discover in a clearing there is a large group of men, uh, all f- heavily armed, one randomly digging a hole for no reason whatsoever. It's just there which spooks Henry, who's been around. He knows he knows that shouldn't be happening. Nobody should be randomly digging holes. Uh, so they, they sneak away, uh, only to be caught in a snare trap and then hung from uh, upside down from a tree uh, when some bad guys turn up. Uh, one of them is a fat guy uh, who's loading a shotgun, even though he should really have had that ready if his, if his job is as a henchman. He should have had a loaded shotgun. Uh, that that features later as well, where he, where he still hasn't loaded that shotgun. Uh, later on in a different scene, there's a guy with an impressive moustache, and uh, he he's there. Looks like a toy gun that he's got. Yeah, it looks like a child's air rifle. Yeah, not not sure why he's got that. And uh, there's a guy with some mirror shades with blonde hair and incredibly hairy nostrils. I think it's mainly because he, he's got his head at an upward slant, so we can't see the camera in his mirrored shades. So that that's why we can see right up his nose. What's the name of that character? Uh, yeah, we, we get to find out later on uh, the name of that character, and it's quite uh, quite good. that it's, His name is Shades. Thank God he's wearing them. Then. Yeah, otherwise I'd have to change his name. It wouldn't have made any sense and uh, confused the audience throughout. But no, his name is Shades. So what he does is, because one of them's got a, a cap gun and uh, the other one hasn't even loaded his shotgun, Shades just shoots Henry and Bobby, just blasts them to death whilst they're hanging helplessly from a tree. Yeah, I actually thought Henry said that he was sort of getting backhanders from this gang. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a handover to Bobby. So he got a month of retirement. He told him how it was. He says he just lets them get on with it, arrests them, gives them a fine. They get out. And gives them some drugs. Yeah, and everyone's okay, but not this time. Because it's probably because of that guy digging a hole. He's just, it freaked him. It's, it spooked, spooked it's, everyone. It's seen too much. Something's wrong. Back to the boat. Get back to the boat. Yeah, we get the title sequence, um, which is a super uh, sort of 80s looking title sequence. It was in every film, it seems, back then. Yeah, the names of the actors are just on things we see. 
Uh, and in, in this occasion, what we see is boxes uh, in a warehouse being moved from place to place on a forklift and uh, in general just, just being shifted around by some warehouse operatives. We get a as and and a special appearance by and things like that. I've always loved that in the credits of, of terrible films where they, they give you a special appearance by nobody that you've ever heard of and uh, they, they make out that, that that's a that's a quality a quality signing. Uh, this one this one doesn't disappoint and it, it does have somebody uh, and it's and Peter Bromilo as Mr. Chang. <laughs> and that that's that's your special guest star. Uh, I don't know if anyone out there is following Peter Bromelow's career. We um, actually looked him up, and uh, he's made more films than we thought. Uh, he was in The Rocketeer and um, Highlander too. So there you go, Peter Bromelow, and he's in this as Mister Chang. <laughs> that's why he got the and billing, yeah. I guess. Yeah, because he'd been in previous films. That's also where we get introduced to the snake, isn't it? <laughs> yes, there is a snake. Yeah, it's a puppet, a snake puppet. Uh, that makes an evil noise because it's an evil snake. Why is it an evil snake? <laughs> well, we find out later on because uh, there's apparently two snakes. One of them is contaminated and one of them is just a snake. But they get the wrong one because uh, during the sequence, a forklift knocks off the word contaminated in a health and safety nightmare bit of driving. Uh, and the wrong snake gets put onto the plane. You know, all hell's going to break loose. You know that because it's a contaminated snake and it's already made that noise. So it's obviously evil. We see uh, Donna again. She introduces us this time to another of the main characters. It's Taryn, who looks very similar to Donna. They're both sort of blonde, playboy, playmate-looking girls, aren't they? And that's where we find out that Taryn is not part of the agency. She is in the witness protection. She um, gave state evidence against the mob in Las Vegas, and then she was given a new pseudonym and just put in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I missed all of that. Well, it also doesn't make sense. As you watch, with that knowledge, and you watch the rest of the film, why the hell is she getting involved in all this? She's a civilian, and she's firing bazookas and fucking... You know, getting get in fist fights and rolling around whilst there's grenades going off. And that's why I didn't pick up on that at all. I assumed she was a, a drug enforcement person. The uniform for the Molokai cargo plane thing that they both work at is quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, you have to have big, big sunglasses, a blonde perm, and tits. <laughs> and uh, oh, there, there goes the tits alarm. <laughs> Is, uh, First use of that are. word today. There they are. <laughs> yep, and that's it. Yeah, and you know, no, no bras, no bras allowed. Very small shorts, sleeveless shirt, sleeveless shirt with enough opening on the sleeve for some side boob. Mm, cowboy boots. Yeah, cowboy boots and a big like sort of like a weapons belt or a utility belt in which you can hang items of your own choosing. Uh, the the two in question choose a torch. I think they've got a torch each. Some keys. Yeah. They've also got some keys. Uh, Taryn has attached some black pudding to hers or blood blood sausage. Um, <laughs> it, it looks like that. I, I think later on it turns out that they are, in fact, nunchucks. But uh, from in the opening scene, it just looks like she's got a couple of uh, couple of black pudding sausages hanging from her belt. <laughs> Well, she's you know she's a, she's learning, isn't she? She's a civilian. She doesn't know what to what to bring with her. 
That's right. And as a civilian, she's every right to carry black pudding. Yeah. It's never mentioned either. You would have thought someone would mention it. Donna's gone, you know, you can tell she's in the agency because she had a whistle and a Swiss army knife. Yeah. She's ready for anything, whereas Taryn's just ready for, I don't know, a fried breakfast. And that's probably why uh, Donna's got the Swiss army knife open the, open the tin of beans. Yeah, I've, I've, I actually wrote in my notes that I, I called them both, not knowing their names, as I've already admitted, tits and pudding, uh, <laughs> is what I is what I called the the two ladies, which is <laughs> slightly derogatory, perhaps, but also a cracking album um, yeah. Yeah. title. Yeah. If, if you're into that kind of music. Hey, Donna, and the feds told me I could come to Hawaii and live and help you keep your cover. It sounded like paradise. But you never let up. The agency expects us to be fit at all times. But I'm still just a civilian. It doesn't mean you can't be buffed. Finally get a little bit of uh, advancement with the plot where we're introduced to Mr. Chang. Peter Bromelow, you may remember as Mr. Chang. Classic British gentleman. Not necessarily as the name Mr. Chang would suggest. But um, he's he's got a cravat. Um, he's he's on a yacht, and uh, he's he's got a little tiny toy helicopter. Yeah, um, in my notes here, I've, Mr. Chang has a magic wand and a tiny chopper. I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah, he has uh, the magic wand refers to a cane that he has. He has <laughs> like a walking stick style cane, uh, and the tiny chopper, of course, is the toy helicopter that I just mentioned there. And he he flies that away off his yacht. He just he just flies that off to to shore. I don't know how he can still see it when he gets to shore, but he he's he's still in charge of it apparently, and lands it beautifully. But he lands it right in full view of tits and pudding, aka uh, <laughs> Donna and Taryn. Yeah, I forgot their names, so I'm going to remember their names now. So I'm, no more references to our. Our prog rock album. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were there dropping off two honeymooners, weren't they, which come into play a bit later on in the film. Yeah, that's, if, if you're transporting things by plane in Hawaii, it's usually two honeymooners or contaminated snakes. Uh, on this occasion, it was both. So yeah. uh, so they, they managed just to get one trip instead of two. So well done to them. Yeah, and uh, then we again see uh, Shotgun. The shotgun guy with his unloaded shotgun draped over his arm. Yeah, and he attempts to load it again because they see the helicopter, uh, Donna and Taryn. Yeah, remember their names. Uh, and they go and investigate and find contraband on this helicopter. Um, it's a little bit elaborate from Mr. Chang. Uh, not sure why why he uses a toy helicopter, but uh, the, the fat guy is busy loading his shotgun once again. Uh, and the other guy still got his cap gun, but uh, I don't know. I think he's an idiot or something. He doesn't actually fire at all. Yeah, that's the blonde mustachio. The mustachio, man, yeah, Mister Mustachio with his cap gun. You would have thought as well that they could have just passed that off as, oh yeah, that's my toy helicopter or whatever. But no, they just instantly attack. Yeah, they they just start to open fire. Fortunately, uh, Donna and Taryn are ready, and just disarm them with a shuriken ninja star hidden in a cowboy boot yeah yeah she had that with her and uh, the uh, well uh, taryn throws a black pudding yeah she actually does throw that pudding 
straight at mm. straight at Mustachio's face. Yeah, that, that's how we find out that it's not actually a pudding because it hits him with some force, and uh, we find out that it's not made of blood and congealed fat. Yeah, sausage, really. Yeah, I mean that's spoken like a man who's never took black pudding to the face. I haven't. I'll admit that I've uh, I've never eaten it either. <laughs> I don't think I ever will. I, I don't think I. I think I. No, I don't think I have either. Just it just doesn't look appealing or sound appealing in any way. If any of you have uh, ever eaten black pudding or taken it to the face, <laughs> yeah, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> Actually, no, don't tell us. I if don't you've taken it to the face. <laughs> I don't like the, the way you're wording that. Uh, yeah, get in contact at uh, black pudding to the face dot <laughs> com. <laughs> Again, don't search that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to look up that. It's not drugs, you see. We, we were led to believe it was drugs due to the the, the whole telling point us of the film. it was all drug enforcement, but no diamonds are what Mr. Chang is carrying on his little chopper. And uh, Yeah, they don't even find one of them. There's two packs of diamonds. They take one and one's just left on the side that no one finds. Yeah, so that, that that's that's the, that's the another part of the plot, I guess. They, they throw that in. It's diamonds as well. Yeah, and uh, Mustachio says, I dread facing Seth empty-handed. Um, that gives us another character, which turns out to be Seth Romero, who's the sort of, I guess he's the head of the maf- the Hawaiian mafia. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I think Mr. Chang is still the, the top dog, but I think Seth handles the uh, the ground operation, whereas Mr. Chang just stands on a yacht playing with his chopper. Yeah, if I, if I was in the mafia, I'd want to be in the Hawaiian mafia, I think. It's a, it's a good place to be in the mafia, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't seem like you'd have to do too much. Well, he doesn't do a lot at all, does he? We, we meet him just having dinner. So he's yeah, he's at Edie's now. Edie is a side character who isn't part of the agency. She's sort of an informant. She keeps an eye on the, the shady clientele for the agency. And uh, Seth Romero's in there having dinner with a very muscular blonde woman. Yeah, I, I actually found her very attractive. So, yeah, just, <laughs> and, just uh, pointing that out in case she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was only what thirty years ago. <laughs> Oh, you know. And uh, she looks after herself then, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Mustachioed man turns up with the shotgun guy and tells Seth. The the shotgun guy seems oddly pleased that he got overpowered. Yeah, he's probably more pleased that he survived the uh, shuriken to the heart, which looked like <laughs> that was potentially a death there, but uh, he's he's okay. His Hawaiian shirt must have protected him. Yeah, well those things are made made to last, aren't they? Well, though, I'd imagine they just call it a shirt. In Hawaii. Mustachioed man says, I dread facing Seth empty-handed, and he was right, because Seth gives him the rollicking of his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anyone ever said what he says to me, then I are. It's shocking. They really are put in their place. Who were they? It was a couple of broads. Broads? You dummies. They got away on that cargo plane. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Molokai cargo. Yeah. If brains were birchit, you'd have a clean cage. I'll get someone else to handle them. Get out of here. You see? That's just harsh. I mean, they, they perhaps deserved it after failing again. And rightly, he um, he beckons the blonde woman. Yeah, she's already on her way. I don't know how she, she, she just knew. Yeah, because Seth meets them outside to talk to them, and then he just turns and beckons, and even though she's inside the restaurant still, 
That's just a shot of her walking out very slowly. I'm looking beautiful. Donna, yeah, we, yeah, Donna and Taryn then decide to have a sauna. Yeah, um, it's where they do their best thinking. They, they, that's they what tell Donna us, says, yeah, they, they let us know that it's where they do their best thinking. Uh, it's an excuse for more breasts, and they're in the sauna for almost a minute, and then they figure something out and then just leave again. Yeah, and they decide to ring uh, the two other heroes of this film who we see on a boat doing some uh, karate. Yeah, it, it, it's painful, actually. This is one of the most painful scenes of the film where they where they have some banter. They have a little bit of comedy chat between the two of them. Jade, you see these hands? These hands are lethal weapons. Oh, really? Confucius say a man with deadly hands must be very careful while slapping on aftershave. It's, it's all thankfully brought to an end by the arrival of the sushi guy that they've ordered food from. Yeah, he turns up on a, a very small scooter, doesn't he? He arrives, he delivers a small polystyrene pot. They open it, uh, there's no sushi inside whatsoever. It's a sandwich. And in that sandwich, they, o- they open the sandwich, it's got a bit of lettuce in there, and a note. Yeah, I like how they've added lettuce. Yeah, you've got to keep that cover <laughs> in case anyone stops him and says... You better not have any notes delivered there, you sushi guy. Yeah, it's like if if there was someone suspecting him taking notes, they'd open it, see there was lettuce, and assume, okay, that's fine. There's there's nothing lettuce. Lettuce is the biggest natural cover of uh, all secret notes. <laughs> is that true? Uh, no, well, of course it isn't. That's a preposterous sentence. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, they instantly they read the note. And decide to set fire to it. Yeah, they they put the note back into the sandwich though, on, uh, with the lettuce, and then they burn it. Yeah, so it's they like didn't even of, eat. They didn't even eat the bread or the lettuce. Yeah, it's like some sort of flash magician's flash paper, isn't it? Yeah, and then we watch the sushi guy ride off again, back the exact same way he came. Yeah, and, th- and this is sort of our first look at, at Jade, who's a ponytailed, muscular karate guy, isn't he? Who wears some absolutely outlandish stuff during this film? Yeah, he's um, he's awful. He's an awful character. I didn't didn't want Jade at all. He just everything he said was stupid, and uh, <laughs> pretty much he was just irritating throughout. Horrific attempts at humor that even even at one point Rowdy just leaves him. Yeah, it's just awful. walks off. Just yeah. walks off from him. It's not, it's not funny, Jade. Quick cut to the girls who were talking. Oh, God. You know, two girls together, what are they going to talk about? Rowdy's dick. Rowdy. So tell me the truth, Don, about Rowdy. How's his stuff? Great. He's got four inches. Four inches? That's not so hot. Yes, it is. I measured him from the ground up. That's classic. Classic female talk. Yeah. And uh, if that is true... And that, um, he's got to go and see a medical professional. Yeah. And if that is true, then us guys have been measuring the wrong way. <laughs> and like, yeah. If girls measure from the ground up. That's, yeah, I still don't get that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a horrible image, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, I don't know what she means. Does, does she mean it's four inches from the ground until his stuff? Or what? Or, or not. 
Because if she does, then again, he, she, he needs to go and see somebody because that's, well, that's, that's not right. Why would it be or not? <laughs> His dick is not, it's four inches on the ground up or not. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I've never measured Rowdy's stuff. Oh, God. Well, you're obviously not doing your prep for this podcast properly, are you? <laughs> no, I forgot that line as well until you just mentioned it. Four inches from the ground up. Imagine if you... <laughs> or not. That's <laughs> your shout line to my, a girl, is it? Maybe that's what they should have said. I've got four inches from the ground up. Or not. <laughs> or not. Is anyone ready to find out? Yeah, that's true. By the See? time you found out, it's too late. Well, it would be for them. The next time you see them, they're sort of in a jeep on the way to meet Donna and Terran, aren't they? Which is where we get our first superb death sequence. Yeah, because Donna and Terran have been attacked in their own home by uh, two awful hitmen. And uh, so obviously they've, they've put a call out for Jade and Rowdy. Uh, to come to their assistance. Um, incidentally, the snake is still loose. The snake puppet's still just like around the place a little bit. We keep seeing it just making the same noise at the camera. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in that it's in that sequence, isn't it? Where it gets sort of knocked over the crate and it escapes, and yeah. sort of torments uh, Seth. The main crime boss seems to be carpooling his his thugs to the location so that they can. Yeah, it's very, very different from the never get your hands dirty. He actually drives them to the to the assassination and uh, is just hanging around outside waiting for him to finish so he can drive them home again. It's different in the Hawaiian Mafia. He's more hands-on. Yeah, yeah. There's also only about four of them. So I guess I guess Seth cut costs. He's looking after the driving himself. Yeah, anyone with a driving license, maybe. Yeah, well, he sees the snake and uh, he overacts uh, incredible incredible style he's uh, he's very very scared of that snake even though it's pretty far away it's quite quite some distance away he sees it terrified of it um screams or you know he's just totally horrified by the whole thing and um <laughs> and then gets shot in the face yeah donna shoots him sort of point blank in the face <laughs> Yeah, it's quite good because he's shooting at them and missing all the time and then she shoots him once and it's right in the face. Actually, thinking about it, he gets shot in the face and then the muscular woman pulls him into the back seat to get him away and then the other henchman drives him off. So why the fuck was he there in the first place? Maybe to alert them about a snake and <laughs> if he gets shot in the face. Well, keep... I don't think Seth's going to be turning up on many others, to be honest. <laughs> on any other missions. I think he's going to call that quits. <laughs> Yeah, he's. Uh... I said quits, not tits. <laughs> oh, that alarm is really yeah. doing my head. Maybe we shouldn't have it for the for the rest of this. Yeah, I'm not even sure why we set that up. Yeah, so they're driving up the road, and one of them says, "Hang on, Rowdy." So it's, it's obviously Jade. Difficult <laughs> 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 to get that confused, really. Isn't it? <laughs> And then Jade says, hang on, Rowdy, we've got some nutcase in front of us. And I bet if you had a thousand guesses at what they were talking about, you would not guess what they actually saw in front of them. And we'll wait for those guesses to come in. Two hours later. No, no, we won't. No, <laughs> no, of course not. That would be ludicrous. 
<laughs> former rapper turned actor. Yeah, they, they see a man doing a handstand on his skateboard coming towards them on the road. Yeah, downhill. On, on he goes. And uh, to those who've been paying attention to the film, such as uh, such as ourselves, you will see that it is, in fact, the mustachioed man. Was it? With... Um, <laughs> Uh, you will, I will see that it's the mustachioed man who, who uh, carries a small cap gun doing some ridiculous and probably agree pointless stunts on a skateboard. Hang on, Ronnie. We got some nutcase in front of us. Man, he must be smoking some heavy doobies. Uh, which, and then they, when they drive up ahead, Skater gets back out of the truck grabs a blow-up sex doll that's already inflated in the passenger's seat. I don't know what Shotgun was doing to, you know, keep himself busy while Skater was titting about on his skateboard. But he takes it with him and drives down back towards the guys in their little little van, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not going to end well because he's got his cap gun now. He's, he's got his little child's gun and uh, he's approaching them now behind a inflatable sex doll. Which I think is to hide the tiny gun that he's got. Even it's a small gun, but it manages to disable the van thing they're in, and also he manages to shoot Jade in the chest. Yeah, a heart shot, which which somehow does not kill him instantly, which is what we would all hope uh, had <laughs> happened. Um, but he, he, no, he he's he just goes ow. Yeah, he sort of half-heartedly holds his chest and uh, below the wound, so that you can see the wound on the camera. And uh, Rowdy says, let's get that turkey. Mm-hmm. And they do in magnificent fashion. Yeah, now th- this this is one of the truly amazing deaths of the film. He gets propelled 20 feet up into the air. And whilst he's up there, Rowdy grabs a bazooka and blows him to pieces. Uh, and for good measure, he then somehow reloads it and blows up the sex doll as well, which is uh, near near him, just propelled into the air as well. It's a double bazooka shot. Look out, he's got a gun. Jade, how bad you hit? I've been better, but I'll live. Let's get that turkey. Bazooka Rowdy? It's the only gun I can hit a moving target with. I uh, I heard an interview with Arlene Sidaris, who's the producer and the wife of the director, and she said that Hard to Get to Hawaii nearly got an X rating because censors thought that the blowing up of the man up in the air was too real looking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure she's uh She's being entirely truthful. It doesn't look overly realistic, uh, if if to tell the truth on that one. There's a a quick shot of the honeymooners getting killed by the snake, which was the only reason they were in the film. And then we see um, Jade leaving the hospital. Uh, Apparently, he gets shot in the heart. It's it's a sort of five-minute operation. Rowdy was just chilling outside on their... uh, They had a big trunk with them that's full of ridiculous weapons that we'll see later on. I think his arm 
isn't even. Oh, it might just be in a sling. And no, no he's, no, he is, isn't it? It's just, it's just a like a he's large a plaster, plaster large yeah. plaster on his chest, which he's showing us, and he's just standing there with an open shirt, showing us his muscular physique. Yeah, his uh, as I was saying, his wardrobe is ridiculous. He's wearing high waisted pajama bottoms. Uh, he was wearing a wife beater vest, but obviously taken off due to the trauma. Of the the shotgun, just so we can see his his wound. Yeah, and his his blouse that he was wearing is just draped over his shoulders now, and he's just standing there totally motionless, which, waiting. Which they do until somebody comes to pick them up because they call for someone to pick them up and then just stand there. And that's when Edie gets Edie gets captured during all of this. Yeah, she she gets captured by somebody who's pretending to be a woman throughout the uh, first forty odd minutes of the film even though you can pretty much see that that's not a woman. Um, Instantly. But um, everyone believed that it was a woman, uh, Michelle. It turned out that uh, it was Michael, which is uh, quite clever to keep the name so close for no reason whatsoever. Michael slash Michelle decides to remove her Michelle costume at the place she's working at and walks out as a bloke, so... It's not the greatest undercover scheme. No, nobody even cares. So <laughs> it, it just make it. It makes you wonder why he bothered dressing up as Michelle at all. Yeah, this is when. Uh, well, what actually what happened in, in the uh, the phone call before uh, e, um, Rowdy and Jade turn up? Donna tells them that he she's shot um, the mafia boss in the face. Rowdy tells her that she needs to lie low because he'll be after her regardless of if she's got his diamonds or not. But then in the same breath tells her to go and stake out his house. It seems fair. It seems fair. If I was a mafia boss who'd been shot in the face, uh, I'd probably be out for revenge. The diamonds would be the first thing, perhaps, but after being shot in the face as well, whilst being scared by a snake, that's just that's just unforgivable. Yeah, and the first thing they do on a stakeout, of course, is record shades. Yeah, they, they use a, a Handycam Sports, like a little yellow child's toy um, that they film on. Uh, the other one, again, Donna Donna and Taryn. Yeah, got yeah, I've yeah, got their names. It. I've got their names. See, I'm getting there. Um, so one of them's recording something through a, a child's camcorder, and the other one has got a single binocular which I'm, I'm not sure if it's just an ocular not sure not sure what the purpose of that is but um i don't think they're overly popular these days but uh that, that's that's what they're using and that other thing that they use in the child's toy that there's nothing more 80s than that in the whole film no they might as well just have put a walkman on and listen to a cassette but uh yeah it, it, it's a terrible thing but it does enable them to spy on shades playing frisbee with a local beauty yeah, and then they get a, a little shot of Edie arriving at the compound and say, oh, no, Edie's been captured. Yeah, it's very powerful. Whatever it is they're using to look at and record on, it's incredibly powerful that you can see across the whole of Hawaii. Yeah, and then they uh, there's a random scene that we don't care about, but they go to the sumo wrestling <laughs> straight afterwards. Yeah, absolutely pointless. It really is a pointless scene. Sumo wrestlers, some attempt at humour. Yeah, I mean, there's not a massive urgency in anything because after that scene, we then get introduced to Jimmy John Jackson, who's a sport reporter who's uh, sort of Terran's boyfriend. Yeah, introduced for no reason. Um, well, the, the reason pointless, is pointless character again. Yeah, yeah, the reason is just to show Terran naked on the beach with him. I suppose that is a decent reason. <laughs> Actually, yeah, thinking about it. And uh, Rowdy and um, Ponytail, what's his name, Jade, they turn up uh, with a tooling up sequence. 
Um, so they open up their crate that they've been they've been bringing along with them, and in there is about eight pairs of nunchucks, which oh. replaces the uh, black pudding that they've been carrying with them. Donna and Rowdy then go to look at the surveillance footage where we see Shades. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we see Shades um, playing frisbee, to which Rowdy says, "Yes, I can use this." Yeah, is frisbee is uh, the Achilles heel, if you will, of Shades which you'll find out later. Yeah, how could he possibly know it would also be his downfall? That's it. I mean, Frisbee, who doesn't enjoy Frisbee? Well, Shades, you should (laughs) think again. You're on duty. Isn't that when uh, Rowdy says, I know this guy, he's called Shades? Something like that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which which is how we know it's the same guy. Yeah, and all this talk of Frisbee and sunglasses is too much for Donna, and then they embrace. Yeah, some classic buttocks. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's, not That's not what rowdy. I wrote down. I just wrote down classic buttocks in that scene. No, yeah, no, not rowdy, no. And some just horrific sex noises where Jade and Taryn in the other room are sort of doing the, the thumb, the thumbing over to the the room they're in and laughing. And Dom's actually doing it now, which you can't see. But uh, yeah, it's trying to explain yeah, it's, what it it's is. It's exactly, exactly how he's doing it. I just wish you could have seen that. And, uh, yeah, and they're sort of giggling to each other. And then Jade tries to impress Taryn by showing his way of drinking a martini, which is eating a lemon peel and then having a very small sip of martini from the bottle. Ah! Ah! I think I'll turn up the stereo. That's a good idea. Donna, you're the greatest. Rowdy, you want to hold it down a little bit? No. I like it like that. I knew that. I knew that. And then finally we get the tooling up sequence. Oh no, actually, the line. <laughs> I was waiting for the line. <laughs> the line right at the end there after they've... Um... Post-coitus. <laughs> <laughs> Post coitus, as it were, as, um, as they say. <laughs> um, Donna says, "Are we role playing?" We, no, no. Okay, I good. thought you would just good. read out the. Uh, no, okay, <laughs> the, the whole thing. <laughs> I just wonder why you paused there. It's like no. I was supposed to read her line. I was, you know, I was hoping you'd read the whole thing. Yeah, I'd have been uncomfortable to be honest. <laughs> if if you decided role play was where we're headed. Uh, yes, she she says. I'm not sure why you assume that. No, I, I dreaded it rather than <laughs> rather than hoped for it. So tell me, what do you feel? One man's dream is another man's lunch. You son of a bitch. I don't even know why. Why would they even have that in the film? Just absolutely. What does mental. it even mean? What, I don't. One man's it, dream is another man's lunch. It still doesn't make sense. E- even in terms of sexual innuendo, that makes no sense whatsoever. If any of you postcoiters have ever said this word out loud, please write in and tell us what the fuck it means. <laughs> but only that, please. Please do not contact us with your regular postcoitus chat. Yeah, we don't want the script. No, no, thank you. Unless it's really, really impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, so 
we get a, another look again at them tooling up and uh, the, the the weapons they're taking with them to this showdown. Rowdy is, no, sorry, Jade is screwing on a silencer to a flare gun. Yeah, in case uh, the the bright light of a flare wouldn't dra- attract your attention too much, you can fire it in silence. So nobody would ever hear that. Rowdy has what looks like a World War One German service revolver. Yeah, it looks like he's just carrying a Luger pistol. <laughs> Uh, that he's dug up from some somebody's <laughs> corpse or something. His granddad. But he's carrying that. He's already told us that he's awful at shooting, which is why he chooses bazookas, uh, the the obvious choice of somebody who can't shoot. Yeah, um, Don has got a very, very small gun that loads directly into the barrel. It looks like a child's cap gun. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, well, I was going to say she would have come up against Mustachio Man, who's got a child's cap gun, but um, unfortunately he was blown to pieces in the air. Terran's polishing some black pudding, not a, a euphemism. <laughs> mm. Maybe that would have got the X rating. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the black frisbee with razor blades all along the side. Yeah. It's a, it's a weapon of choice for many assassins in Hawaii. And this plays, I mean just so we don't forget about it like we do with everything else in the film. The scene where that comes into play is straight after this, where we see Rowdy um, surfing up to the beach, ready for this showdown with Shades. Shades, of course, is busy once again, uh, just standing on the beach with a machine gun, just like just standing there. Not entirely sure what he's guarding. He doesn't seem to be in front of anything. He's just standing on the beach uh, with a machine gun. Yeah, and Ra- Rowdy, he's got his, he's got Donna's pants on again, and a, a shirt, Hawaiian shirt, but obviously just called a shirt in Hawaii, and he just starts running up alongside this woman and says, "Hello, can I play frisbee with you?" It's a classic line, and it seems to work. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> they run up to Shades, and Shades says, "Hey, Colleen, who's that turkey with you?" There's a lot of turkey in this film. Yeah, I, th- I believe he means Rowdy. Because she's not carrying a turkey or anything, she's actually got a dog with her. But maybe, uh, maybe but, shades. But thinks. That, yeah, maybe he doesn't know what a dog is, <laughs> and assumes it's a turkey because he's heard about them. Yeah, and then they start playing frisbee with shades. They're just rowdy and shades. They totally ignore the woman. Yeah, she she leaves. She leaves soon after because um, rowdy tells her to. <laughs> Row, rowdy shows shows her that he's got a gun, which doesn't panic her. In any way, she just sort of, okay, then I'll leave. Yeah, I shouldn't warn this guy who I play Frisbee with all the time that this guy's got a gun. She just strolls off after he throws the, the Frisbee, sort of like she's a dog herself. She, he just throws the Frisbee and she starts running off. Then he calls her back and he says, hello. Her. He doesn't say hello. He says, hello again. <laughs> he says, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's got a brain injury. Um, no, he says, hey, Colleen, you've got a great ass. And then she turns back, so do you, Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, another another useless line. <laughs> and then uh, we get we get back to some serious Frisbee playing. And this is serious as well, everybody, all right? We're not joking about this. This is proper Frisbee. Yeah, because Rowdy throws it and then Shades sort of flicks it between his legs and catches it with the other hand. But he does that every time he catches the frisbee. Yeah, because it's kind of like a frisbee-off of the two guys now. Who can do the frisbeeing the best? He says something like, let's see if you can handle this, and then throws it just like a normal speed. Everyone yeah, throws a and frisbee. Ju- and he just throws the frisbee again, like he'd already done three times. 
there's a when they were um, staking out the place, Donna and Terran, when they were recording uh, Shades and Colleen playing frisbee. <laughs> Donna says, <laughs> "He looks like he looks like he takes his frisbee playing pretty seriously, or something like that." Or well, why wouldn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's there to guard something, but if somebody turns up with a frisbee, then all bets are off. And this guy does take it very seriously because he's doing the little leg thing. He's doing a little flip. He puts his gun down on a little little towel. Yeah, he's got a he's got a towel because he's on the beach protecting something, but he's got a little towel. <laughs> so maybe on his break, fifteen minute break, he gets to sit on his towel. And as he's doing this, Rowdy replaces the black frisbee with his razor blade frisbee. No, oh, he doesn't even notice. Shades has got no chance. No, and throws it straight at him goes straight through his fingers into his neck. I don't know the power that Rowdy's put behind this frisbee throw, but yeah. it just severs, severs his fingers, just cuts his, all of his fingers off. Straight uh, into his neck. Straight into his neck. Severs his artery. Oh. There's blood actually on him before the frisbee even hits him. That's how powerful this frisbee throw was. Yeah, that's because that's Rowdy for you. Rowdy and his power frisbee. He then gives himself <laughs> a little fist pump. Yeah, yeah he's, he's happy with that. And uh, and then walks off down the beach, Rowdy's job's done. Uh, one one thing I didn't uh, notice, though, I wanted to mention was when when he gets rid of the the Frisbee girl, her name was Colleen, was it? Yeah. Um, he shows her that he's got a gun. Why did he not just shoot Shades with the gun instead of going through all of that Frisbee bullshit? Because he spent all of his time making the fucking razor blade frisbee. He's mm-hmm. not going to not use it. Although in real life, he would have thrown it. He would have caught it. Probably got a slight cut on his finger. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, what the hell have you done to my frisbee? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hey, let's have it. This is for the Molokai cops. Continuing the ridiculous ways of entering a, a final showdown, we've got we originally had Rowdy turning up on a surfboard. We then have Donna turning up in an air glider. Yeah, she she just glides into view. So we've had a surfboard, a glider, and a jeep, and they all arrive at the same time, which is weird that they decided to use different methods of transport. <laughs> just they turn could, up on the on the jeep. They could just have I don't know booked a minibus or something and just got there at the same <laughs> or time or a limousine. Well, yeah, later on. Later on, we'll get to the uh, the limousine bookings. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure why they did it, but um, it, it looks pretty cool. <laughs> I say that, it doesn't, it looks ridiculous. But yeah, the glider's so slow. And uh, during the, the, where they're planning this out, Rowdy must have said, Donna, what we want you to do is glide into the compound above and just start throwing grenades to totally... Yeah, disorientate everybody. That, that's what we need. That's what we need. There'll be panic, chaos, and that we can use that. But most importantly, you'll totally ruin the element of surprise that we had. Yeah, which is exactly what does happen. And because she's so slow in the air, relying on air currents and such, when she starts dropping the grenades, she's dropping them in dangerously close to her own team. Yeah, she gets nowhere near the, the bad guys. No, all she does is alert them to where her team are and almost kill her entire team as well, which is not probably not on the let's do this list of the plan. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, we get the uh, Rowdy shooting glass off the table. There's a running joke that Rowdy can't shoot straight, which is, um, I don't know why, how he got in the agency if that was the case. Yeah, which is why he uses bazookas as a, you know to, to shoot dolls. There's a great bit where uh, Jade walks backwards into a room, n- thus negating probably all of his agency training, and is instantly captured by uh, one of the one of the bad guys' henchmen. Yeah, who's just stood still, <laughs> watching him sneak backwards into a room. Uh, Rowdy then runs in and gets the drop on the henchman, thankfully, just to dissipate the tension that was building after a second of Ra- uh, Ponytail being captured, and. Um, basically Jade and, and Rowdy are, are pointing their gun at him. The guy gives up, puts his gun down, and that's when classic action movie, Jade puts his gun down, tells Rowdy to get the hell out of here and he'll handle this himself. Yeah, they're going mano to mano. It's uh, it, it's good because you would naturally assume, because the, the guy who's going to be fighting is a, an Asian henchman, and you would naturally and perhaps uh, stereotypically assume he would be good in the martial arts field. Uh, what they've managed to do, though, is is employ a henchman from Asia who's awful at uh, martial arts to fight somebody who thinks he's good at martial arts and make him look better. So he's, he's awful. It's a rubbish fight. And this, this is Jade's sort of big set piece of this is my martial, this is what I can do. Uh, you see on the boat that I think... I think it's implied that Jade is better than Rowdy at, at martial arts because he's sort of teaching him... Everything, sort of, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know what Rowdy really brings to the, the party. So bazookas. You also mentioned just, well, the, the ladies bring the bazookas. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, it's a showpiece, and um, they just don't let the guy get any offense in this this Asian henchman, and Rowdy just fucking beats the shit out of him. And then, not happy with that, he gets the iron claws out, which are a staple of sort of kung fu movies, aren't they? The, the ones yeah. you wear in your hands. Yeah, it, it, it's unusual that he's got them. But, uh, yeah, and he certainly doesn't need them because he's <laughs> defeated the other guy because he's rubbish. Well, why would you pack them? And yeah. they were, I don't know where he was keeping them. No, he just pulls them out of he, he wherever. He just suddenly has them. And the other guy's rubbish anyway. So he's already it's, dead. It's totally unnecessary for him to uh, to finish him. Yeah, he's, he's already defeated. And then Rowdy does this sort of dance manoeuvre where he goes across his own body and gives the, the sparkly fingers to, and then it cuts the guy just literally rips him to shreds. You just feel sorry for him. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, really, because we all hate Jade. Uh, that would have been nice if he'd have got a couple of punches to the face or something. Plus, he got shot. I mean, he's, he's not even 100%. Yeah, well, he is then. And then Rowdy uh, gets into the main room where Edie's being held hostage and just decides, I'm just going to shoot a rocket launcher in here. Yeah, so he does. And uh, and that, that just basically destroys everyone except Edie, who's fine. Yeah, and then Jade comes in, does a kinky sex line because she's tied up. Quite, quite inappropriate, really, from Jade again. That he uh, can't resist. It's not even an innuendo. It's just harassment, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just consistently harassed every female member of the cast. Hard ticket to harassment. Nice. That's the sequel. That's nice. Jade's court case. <laughs> yeah, I'd no, I'd say I'd watch that, but. Not if it's the same guy who plays Jade. <laughs> we then get a shot of the, the the sort of escaping henchman. The guy with the shotgun again is loading his shotgun as he attempts to get into the helicopter. There's a scene of the the muscular woman that you love, who um, she's just tall. She's just sort of working out. She's in sort of bondage gear, oiled up. She doing, certainly is. Yeah, doing like um 
kung fu movies, isn't she? Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. So now you would assume with someone like that, she would get a, a fight scene or a set piece or something like that for to show what she can do. But she just gets in this helicopter and is instantly blown up by Donna with a rocket launcher. Yeah, it is a shame. It really is a shame because I enjoyed that uh, oiled up training montage. Yeah, because that is like in every action film. If you've got a sort of a muscular woman who's a, a sort of a henchman, she will have a fight scene with someone. Except this one. Yeah, she's absolutely useless, as is everyone in the, the hey. game. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> she she was my favourite character. She's not in it a lot, but uh, yeah, something about oiled up muscular women. Anyway. Yeah, and then... Uh, <laughs> they, I'm going to change that opinion. <laughs> they steal a van from there and just head off home. Everyone's sort of celebrating. Everyone's happy. They get halfway and then in, in some sort of, I don't know, it's like a Scooby-Doo type of look to each other. What about the... the yeah, they main... even use the line, what about? Yeah, what about Seth, the main man? And then they all look at each other. The van urgently breaks and then Rowdy explodes out the back of the van on a motorbike, which I'm sure wasn't there during the... No, because they were in the back of the van. <laughs> um, so to have all been fitting around a motorbike would have been a much more of a tight squeeze than we saw. And it just shows the ineptitude of the entire team that they forgot to actually carry out the plan that they went in to do. Um, so yeah, Seth, Seth's just still out there. And now... So's Rowdy. Taryn, you wouldn't believe it. Rowdy fired six shots at the guy. He missed every time. Hey, I knew you'd cover me. Who got that bastard Seth? For some reason, they all let Rowdy just go off on his own on his motorbike to go and kill Seth on his own, and they all end up just going back to their own houses, and we see Donna in the shower, while Seth, as it turns out, has actually followed Donna back to her house somehow, knows where she lives, and is um, offers absolutely no opposition, really, even to Donna, and just is pretty much instantly killed about three times. Yeah, he has, he has a good death scene. It's quite an elongated death scene where you would assume he's already been shot in the face, remember? Uh, which you would usually associate with death, but he's just got a plaster, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's also wearing a plaster. Doesn't look as uh, as heroic as Jade with his plaster on his heart, but um, yeah, he he's still okay enough to fight a little bit more. They have to do more damage to Seth. There's a sort of Halloween ripoff where Donna hides in the cupboard, and then he's stabbing through the the cupboard, the um, the closet. Sorry, and he's stabbing through the closet door with a knife. But whilst Jamie Lee Curtis fashioned a, a stabbing implement out of a coat hanger, Donna has a harpoon. Yeah, yeah. It, you you <laughs> kind of wonder if Jamie Lee Curtis had had a harpoon, whether the end of uh, of Halloween would have been the same thing. <laughs> what a great ending to Halloween that yeah. would have been. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should have a little look in your closets. If you've got a harpoon in there, then you you pretty much sorted. If you haven't, uh, maybe you should. It's yeah. just, just a thought. Yeah, just in case this happens to you. And it could, because it's all based in reality. It's a very realistic film, as is Halloween. Yeah. And, and then you assume he dies. I mean, she shoots him sort of in the in the, the chest area with this harpoon. And then he falls on the floor and looks to be dead. Only then, <laughs> I think she's in the... To no, she's, she's in the toilet, I think. And then you just see him <laughs> behind, just round the corner, bleeding 
profusely from his face and this harpoon. He attacks her with the knife. She instantly overpowers him due to blood loss, I assume, and uh, stabs him in the stomach with his own knife. Again, you you would think that the shot in the face uh, would be death, the harpoon to the chest would be death, then the stabbed again with your own knife would be death. No, not for Seth. Seth no, he's back. Seth rejects death. Donna's crying over the toilet at this point, and um, as as so so were we at, at this point of the film. <laughs> I think we we were also contemplating doing the same thing, <laughs> and the toilet explodes, and the puppet snake emerges from the yeah because because it, it brought dynamite or something. I don't know how it exploded the toilet, but. Uh, all the time when it was sneaking up the pipes, it suddenly burst through the porcelain and takes a liking to Seth. And uh, <laughs> Seth peeks his head around the corner in a sort of Tom and Jerry cartoon style way. You know, and Tom sort of looks around and get hit with a frying pan or something. He does the same, except it's a puppet snake who just takes a big chunk out of his face. And then and only then is when Seth meets his demise. Finally dies. Finally, Seth is dead. Everybody, don't think he's coming back again. We kind of thought he might, wearing the snake as some sort of face ornament. But no, he's dead. Yeah, and uh, in the nick of time, Rowdy smashes through the wall. Yeah, remember Rowdy who just rode off on his bike when he could have actually just gone home with Donna <laughs> like he should have done in the first place. I'd like to see a scene of Rowdy turning up to the compound with no one there except an on-fire helicopter. Yeah, because he got there and thought, oh yeah, we did kill everyone here. Seth's not here, is he? Otherwise we would have seen him. But uh, yeah, so wherever he'd been riding his motorbike, because uh, it's night time now, so he's obviously been riding for a while. If he'd have stayed in the van, none of that scene would have happened. But uh, he bursts through the wall. And I'd like to say at this point that I called that this would happen. You did. I, yeah. I said he's going to smash through that wall with a bazooka. And he does. He smashes through the wall. He's got a bazooka. And uh, he shoots the snake in its ridiculous puppet face. Uh, whilst it's going again. Indoors again. It's the second time he's... Shot a bazooka indoors. Luckily, it just blows the snake's head off and does no other damage. Yeah, just the snake. It's, it's, it's such a targeted bazooka that it, it hits the snake square in the face. It blows up just the snake. There's no further explosion. And uh, I'm sorry to say the snake is dead. Uh, I think I think it is a puppet. I will just again clarify. So no actual snakes were harmed um, because it's a really bad puppet. Where the hell did that snake come from? Did you believe up through the toilet? Just when you thought it was safe to take a pee. We then get Mr. Chang's death. Well, was a bit of a spoiler alert there. I mean, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Chang, of course, who uh, we haven't seen for quite some time, uh, thinking Seth was the bang bad guy. Uh, but Mr. Chang... What happens is, after all that, uh, everyone then turns up in a limo. This is where they, they actually they, they plan their arrival properly, where they all come in the same uh, actual vehicle. They arrive in a limo outside an enormous tower block, uh, and they head on up to see Mr. Chang. 
when they get there, Rowdy says, no, no, this is for me and Donna to sort out. So why the fuck are everyone else turned up? Yeah, because they, they, they then just sort of don't go in. They stay by the car. They, they bought Jimmy John Jackson. They bought Taryn, who have civilians. Yeah, and... Still, Jimmy John Jackson still really don't know why he's there at all. No, no one knows. And then they all just stand around like pricks while they go up to the top floor. And we see an absolutely huge henchman that's been in the background every time Mr. Chang's on screen. Yeah, and he, he's not said a word. And Rowdy um, basically on the way up sort of describes how much of a badass this henchman is. Yeah, he, he's overpowered immediately and uh, he's, he's just rubbish. Yeah, because what you would assume with this is that maybe Rowdy would take the henchman in a fight and then Donna would take Mr. Chang. But no, Rowdy just beats him to death with a nunchuck or a black pudding. Yeah, again, not clarified which one it is. And then uh, Mr. Chang goes to the wall and grabs a, a samurai sword. And then you think this is going to end in a, in a some sort of cool sword fight. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of you're going to think that this happens and uh, none of it does. So... This doesn't happen either. So th- there is no there is no big sword fight. Mr. Chang is not a skilled swordsman um, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he, although I'll, I'll give him this, I'll give Mr. Chang this, he gives one of the best lines of any evil kingpin ever. And that's when Rowdy says to him, this looks like it's all over, Mr. Chang. To which he replies, "In a pig's ass." <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he says he says that, <laughs> which is such an unusual line that even Rowdy questions: Did he just say "in a pig's ass"? And that's all. It's all on film. It's, uh, it's like they forgot that he was going to say it, and then they questioned it, and he just the director carried on filming even we questioned it well, we went back yeah we went back and did it and then we realized after we'd watched that him say it again that rowdy questions it such is it an unusual line in a pig's ass it's not even a phrase no they end they, and then you think oh, what's he gonna do with his sword and as you say not a, a keen swordsman he throws <laughs> by it any stretch <laughs> he throws it like a like a javelin very he sort of throws the sword how Steven Seagal runs. He's <laughs> very... Yes, he could be described as like a girl <laughs> without offending uh, 50% of the population. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes nowhere near them. You don't even see where it lands. And uh, they just shoot him and he flies out the window. Yeah, they, they shoot him repeatedly. He literally flies out the window as well because you see from, from where everyone else is by the limo, he's quite some distance away from the building when he uh, when he lands. Yeah, and that's the end of Mr. Chang and the Hawaiian Mafia. Mr. Chang, that's very stupid. Oh? Bringing a knife to a gunfight? Ooh, man, I've heard of guys being dropped for a loss before, but this is really radical. To end the film, we get a shot of them all on a boat on the Malibu Express. They've got champagne out, they're all cheersing. And then Taryn, she then says, oh, look, I've got these diamonds. Now, usually law enforcement will take them off her, you know, because it's, it's drug money, basically, isn't it? And uh, But what she says is that no one knows that we have this and I'm a civilian, so I don't have to abide by the rules of law enforcement. 
and all the DEA agents or the agency agents on the boat all just agree and cheers and you'll keep the fucking money. <laughs> yeah. Not, not as clean cut as they all seem to have been. <laughs> not as moralistic as you would assume, would you? No. And then uh, and then it just says the end and there's a, a cat. Yeah, at the end of the credits. It's just an inexplicable cat. I also love the fact that it says all characters are fictitious at the end, just in case you were unaware. Except for Mr. Chang. No, it doesn't say that. But, no. <laughs> yeah. but uh, that would be great if Mr. Chang was real. Yeah, and his his line was, was ad-libbed. It was an actual quote from <laughs> Mr. Chang's last final words. It's on his tombstone. So that was our review. It'll of... be on my tombstone. <laughs> That was our review of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> I say review, it's more of us just saying how ridiculous the film yeah, we is. We just told you what happened. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for some sort of in-depth commentary on films, this probably isn't the podcast for you. I know we should, probably should have said that at the start of the, the podcast. Having, having said that, whilst the theme tune is on, uh, they're flying over Hawaii. The cinematography is fantastic. It's uh, It really is beautiful. It is, you're right. <laughs> But that'll be the only time we talk about stuff like that. Yeah, and also the tourists. Most of their scenes is them on sort of the Hawaiian beaches, which is nice. Yeah. And to be honest, just watch the film. If you've got this far, you've wasted just as much time as you would have done if you'd have just watched the film yourself. So shame on you, really. Yeah, I don't know why the hell. Yeah, so (laughs) yeah, shame on you and the jokes on you. Yeah, so (laughs) just to watch the film. Yeah. There's a few characters we didn't discuss. Uh, Ken, do you, do you have a favourite side character in this film? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> Just the oiled up um, fitness woman. Yeah. She's my favourite character of every film, yeah. whether she's in it or not. There's a couple I like. I like the um, sort of movie producer who's in Edie's bar. Oh, he was played by Sidaris himself. You yeah, there's a, a cameo from Andy Sidaris himself where... Uh, a would-be actress goes up to him and has breakfast with him and she says, you practically raped me last night. To which (laughs) Sidaris says... That was last night. This is today. (laughs) Just instantly dismissive. (laughs) So so therefore that's fine. So come on, (laughs) stop living in the past. He then does some horrible scenes with Jimmy John Jackson where... Jimmy John Jackson, uh, at some point, I believe, he's trying to sell some, some... supplement some sports supplement and uh he he says you'll have iridescent green urine that'll earn you respect in every restroom <laughs> that's something that he says um, that. yeah that, that's something that he says to promote that supplement to two sort of <laughs> yeah i'm not even looking. sure well, yeah i'm not even sure what they're supposed to be <laughs> it's sort of just vacant two, looking. two guys who seem to not even know their where they are <laughs> yeah. But um, if if you want iridescent green urine and you want to earn respect in every restroom, then I suggest you do go back and watch this film and find out exactly what vitamin supplement Jimmy John Jackson is talking about. Have you ever been complimented on your green urine? My urine? No. That's because I've not taken the supplement. Yeah, well, if anyone has, write in. Tell us about your urine. Um... Yeah, there's quite, quite, a few, quite a few things that you can write in and tell us, actually, on, yeah. on, this, on this first podcast. Yeah, that is true. And I tell you, another great character is the waiter Ashley. Oh yes, who is just a HR nightmare. Yep, yeah. uh, Ash- Ashley's uh, 
what probably described as a sex pest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but not in the eighties. It was cheeky in the eighties. Yes, yeah, it's just a little bit of I don't know, a little bit of playful nonsense. But um, he sexually harasses every female character that he actually sees. Playful nonsense was our band name, wasn't it? Our rock band. It was name. yes, yes. We we released the tits and pudding album. <laughs> <laughs> so much applause yeah <laughs> yes yes people really enjoyed that yeah there's a it's just every single time this guy's in this in this the scene it's just a sexual innuendo or some sort of you know it's just all over the women so like um there's a point where donna and terran turn up at the at Edie's place and he sort of jumps in front of them and says i've got the best seat in the house my face to which Taryn fantastically says, why? <laughs> That's her response to it. It would have been better if that was the end of that conversation. Just why? Yeah, and they both walk off and just leave him there. But then Donna says, uh, is Joe nose bigger than your dick or something? And just sort of ruins it. But I think why would have been the, the perfect comeback to that. I would have just liked to have seen what he would have said. And then the girl who um, gets raped by the, the director, um, she walks in and... Uh, uh, she says, I'm just a working girl. This joint's too expensive for me. To which Ashley says, you can eat my joint anytime. Pause for free. Which is nice. Nice of him. <laughs> nice of him to cut the costs. Yeah, I mean, just ridiculous character, but one of my favourites. Yeah. And yours is just the muscular woman, is it? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no there's no change in that. That, that oiled up training scene for no reason whatsoever is yeah that's fine that's all i'll take away from the film so, yeah and speaking of which the film can be found on youtube if you are interested in, in in watching it i would highly recommend it. it is just an absolutely ridiculous film it's a beautiful film it's a work of art quite quite how they they bothered <laughs> to, to finish it I, I just don't know but uh it, it's incredible and i believe it's the second in a series of films sort of six or seven films malibu express of course we will definitely be looking at malibu express because if 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 that was the first one and this is better then <laughs> i really want to see that first one meet cody abilene a private eye with an adoring public he's an undercover operator hi i'm may and this is my friend Faye. with a knack for getting at the bare facts this is the Countess, a government agent with her own special skills. And together, they're both headed for danger on the Malibu Express. So what we do in this sequence is Ken pitches me a film. If I like it and I agree to it, try and get this thing made. What I'll try and do is I'll try and link them to the film that we've just discussed so it's not totally ridiculous. Well, it is totally ridiculous, but at least it's some sort of connection. Um, the film pitch is... Bazooka Squad. It's set in the 80s or 90s. It's a division of the police somewhere hot. Yeah? So you can see the connection straight away. Yeah, 80s, oh, 90s, yeah. somewhere hot police. Large-breasted women. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, you like that. Of all ethnicities, wearing inappropriate uniforms played by unknown non-actresses. And they all have generic names. I've got Sandy... Oh. Oh, sorry, what? What's the uniform? Uh, just hot pants, um, vests. And a badge. 
Well, yeah, obviously, the law enforcement <laughs> got to have some sort of uh, authority. That's true. Uh, generic names, Sandy, Cindy, Mandy, Mindy, Misty, and Lopez. <laughs> yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The only weapons they have access to are some bazookas. I don't know why, but that's all they've got. They have one each? Yeah. No, well, they they you know, can borrow each other's. Nice. I guess. They they ride motorbikes with rocket launchers built in. The main villain gang are bikers, and they're either drug dealers or just assassins. I guess it doesn't really matter. They're just bad guys, just general bad guys. Yeah. The boss of the bad guy gang is a drag queen called Honey Suckle, and uh, that boss is played by. Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got Cuba Gooding Jr. He, he's interested in the role. You've already made contact, haven't yeah, you? I have. Yeah, I reached out. He wants to he wants to play Honey Sockle. Oh, the police captain in charge of this bazooka squad is Carl Weathers, <laughs> and uh, and he's called. Captain Carl <laughs> Weathers. He's got his own name. I'll interject there and say that <laughs> me and Ken, before even before this podcast, we would pitch each other films, and Carl Weathers is in every film as Captain Carl Weathers. <laughs> he's the police chief. It's Carl Weathers. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, he, so he's the police chief. Now, the dad of one of the Bazooka Squad girls, I don't know, let's say Sandy, yeah, so the the dad of Sandy. <laughs> That's uh, negotiable, though. Yeah, it's not a it, it's not a sticking point for us. No, but I, I've I've gone for it because it was the first name I mentioned. So the the dad is uh, I was he get he runs a dojo, so he's a he's a fighting man. He runs a dojo. I was gonna try for Chuck Norris, but I think we've we've spent everything on Carl Weathers and Cuba Gooding Jr. So we're probably <laughs> we're going for Chuck's brother Aaron Aaron Norris. So he runs a, do- a dojo, and his name is Pete. <laughs> one of one of the guys that goes, one of the guys that goes to Pete's dojo, is uh, the boyfriend of Sandy and Aaron Norris as Pete. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so one of the guys that goes to the dojo is the boyfriend of Sandy, and his name is Bobby. No, I don't have an actor for him because he's a young guy. I don't know who, who we could probably get. Probably Michael Sarah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> McLovin, maybe the other guy from Superbad. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's called Bobby. He's a, he's a like, karate dojo attendant. Oh, <laughs> attendee. Definitely, definitely McLovin then. So Sandy, Sandy's kidnapped uh, for some reason, and they've got a rescuer. And put an end to Honey Suckle's evil empire. Pete gets to fight Honey Suckle at the end. Yeah, so imagine that. Yeah, so you're picturing imagine, that. Imagine a fight scene with Aaron Norris. Yeah. <laughs> and Cuba and Gooding Jr. And Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that. I, yeah, I'm trying to. That's how I sold it to Cuba. <laughs> what the country? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they are. Funded by the. <laughs> Funded by the country of Cuba. <laughs> by the kind people of Cuba. 
So, so Pete gets to fight Honeysuckle uh, at the end, uh, but Sandy blows him up with a bazooka. Honeysuckle, Pete? Honeysuckle, oh. not her own dad. No, that'd be Jesus, a ridiculous Sandy. ending. Come on, come on, Sandy. That's the name of the film. That's another film. <laughs> that's the film that Ken was in. That's the spin-off. And uh, yeah, and, that, and that's it. Bazooka Squad. That's about the size of that one. What can can you describe for me? What Cuba Gooding Jr. is going to look like in this film? Um, yeah, you, you know, you know, in Gremlins, where there's like a, a female Gremlin. <laughs> We're going to say that. <laughs> You know, you know the female gremlin with the makeup and everything. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna look a bit like that. <laughs> but well, he's gonna look like, and then name another gremlin. <laughs> Just like you'd bring that. He's up. Look nothing like that one. <laughs> yeah. No, he's gonna look a bit like that, um, but without the the, the ears. He signed up. He's he he's, said he's yes. In. He's he said yes. Cuba Gooden Jr. is in. Well, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. Then this is being made. Yeah, a film starring Cuba Gooden Jr. funded by the good people of Cuba. Yeah. Carl Weathers as himself. And Aaron Norris as Pete. And it's Bazooka Squad. It's it's a play on words. Bazooka, you see, because they've got bazookas. But it's, like it's breasts. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone would be going around with a Come On Sandy t-shirt, wouldn't they? they got merchandise in there. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, brilliant. I think we should get this made then. <laughs> get, get, get back in touch with Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, and I'll get in touch how... with his dad. <laughs> What's he called? Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, so you get on the phone to Cuba. Steve. To Steve Gooding. (laughs) I will. The the actor, not the country. Tell him it's on. And uh, I'll say thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, give us a like. Subscribe on YouTube. (laughs) If you haven't, give us a pity like. You know, (laughs) give us a sympathy like. Yeah, if you want to. We have a website, www.badmoviecult.com. If you think you've got a better pitch than Bazooka Squad. Um, it's doubtful, unless you, unless you bring in Carl Weathers and Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, I mean, Carl Weathers, he yeah. has to be in every pitch, I think. No offence to Aaron. Yeah, well, I mean, Aaron Norris is, is just as a bigger name as Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you going to play Sandy, by the way? No, I, well, I said unknown non-actresses. Oh, just like play like what Andy Sidaris has yeah, done. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Although Sandy may go on to much greater things. Yeah. After this, <laughs> after this incredible action movie, uh, we're also on Twitter, Bad Movie Call, Instagram, and the same name as well. We're on Facebook, so just search for Bad Movie Call. You'll find the group and join that. Discuss films and things like that. And then we'll be back two weeks from now. We're going to be reviewing Manos: The Hands of Fate. Oh. Absolute classic. Can't wait for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sound too enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, that's because I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You look a bit like Torgo. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you you walk like him. (laughs) That'll make sense if you watch the film, everyone. (laughs) If you haven't, yeah, I've got a clue what the hell we're talking about. (laughs) So from me, Dominic Lawton, and my co-host, Kenby Wilde. Yes. We will see you next time. You going to say goodbye? Well, Mr. Chang, I'd say it's all over. In a pig's ass.